What's going on, folks? Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But if you don't know what that means, and really, until that great day comes, I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. I am your host, Josh. Welcome to the show. Uh, Anyways, I hope everyone is well. Um, For those of you tuning in for the first time, this is, uh, I'm going to call it like a bonus episode, I guess. But uh, this is about the vibe that you get. You know, I'm driving in my car right now on the way home from work. Uh, I'm going to talk about a book I read, pull out some of the main ideas and main threads that I feel like uh, are important to discuss. And uh, that's that. If you don't like that, cool. Let me know why. Uh, you can reach out to me a few different ways. You can DM me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at In Defense of Liberation. Uh, you can also reach out to me by email. It's indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. Uh, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Um, but however you do it, feel free to reach out. Uh, let me know what you think about the show. And uh, for those of you coming back, you know what it is. You know what the show's about. Uh, You know what we do. So I hope everyone is well. I hope everyone is healthy. I hope everyone is safe and sane and, uh, you know, really enduring the best that they can throughout all the fuck shit that's going on. Um, So I'm going to talk about this book I read that I've never heard of anyone else talk about. And I kind of know why. We're going to go into some depth about it. We're going to analyze it a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the main critiques I had, some of the main questions I had, and some of the uh, ideas that this helped me to solidify or begin learning about. So anyways, the book is uh, The Long March, The Untold Story by Harrison E. Salisbury. Uh, That's S-A-L-I-S-B-U-R-Y. Um... So, main synopsis is the guy, uh, Harrison, is either British or American. And uh, he basically, he went to China in the 80s, in 85, I think. And uh, he walked the same trail and the same walkways that the different Red Army groups did throughout the long march and along the time you know he interviewed people he spoke to locals he talked to communist party members and historians and uh you know authors and poets and musicians etc and uh kind of gave a broad historical uh capsule of the long march which really um even in china itself Uh, Although I'm sure things are different nowadays because, again, this was written in the 80s. But he's saying back then, you know, there wasn't much of a a deep uh, historical archive or, uh, you know, written works about the Long March. So, you know, he decided he was going to write this book. Uh, It was all right. I would say, you know, if I'm giving it... uh, um, 10 red stars uh, or 10 hammer and sickles, whichever whichever is better. I like hammer and sickles. There are red stars. Who cares? 
If I'm giving it 10 out of whatever, uh, I'm probably going to give it a 6. It it does some decent historical digging, I think. Um, but, you know, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but first of all, I think this guy, like many other historians of his like, uh, played into the great man of history uh, framework and theory a lot. Um, you know, for example, whenever he's talking about mistakes or bad things that happened um, during, like, the socialist building within China, he blames it on Mao um, in almost all contexts. And then also another example is, like, when he's talking about the interaction between, like, Stalin and, uh, uh, Mao, um, he does the same thing. And I I think you see it among leftists even, where they're like, Stalin did this, or Mao did that, and it's like, well, Stalin was a member of the Communist Party, I believe, and don't, you know, I'm not a Stalin, his Stalinologist or anything, but, uh, pretty sure he was a member of the Central Committee. Um, So he had a pretty active role. But he wasn't the only person. Uh, And by far, he was not the the leader of the Communist Party in the way that we're meant to conceptualize it through, like, propaganda. These folks, like, Mao was not, like... How do I want to put this? So most of us understand this framework because we have often had very dictatorial relationships and very unequal relationships. For example, when we're in the classroom, our teacher is the absolute authority. The principals are the absolute authority. And so, you know, you as a child can never be valued as a human being in the same measure as your, you know, adult uh, counterparts can be. Or, you know, if you look at, you know, folks in the military. Because there was a military apparatus. There is a military structure uh, to a lot of revolutionary parties because they're actively engaged in armed struggle in a lot of cases, in military uh, combativeness. But that doesn't always mean that political groups are directly in charge of or directly connected to the, uh, you know, military in the way we're, we're taught to conceptualize it. That's not always true, but the point I'm trying to make is this. It's not so much that Mao had, like, or Stalin had, like, this all-encompassing power in the way that government officials, intelligence agents, and ruling class elites within the capitalist and imperialist system do. But rather, these individuals, you know, you have plenty of them, you know, you have in Germany, you have Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg, but you also have Karl Kautsky, who would be considered the leader of the German communist parties. And yet, ultimately, he was 
the quote leader because his theory was the main guiding point and anchor. And because of that, people decided to continue to follow, to learn, and to really uh, share in the responsibility in working towards these people's ideals. But, you know, as we see throughout the history of just about every struggle, these leaders come and they go because people become aware of the material conditions. People learn more, they experience more, and ultimately or eventually decide whether or not they're going to continue listening and adhering to the ideas of certain members of the party or others. And even then, saying that it's certain members is kind of, you know, characteristic of a very metaphysical analysis because ultimately these are ideas that individuals hold because of their own, you know, analysis and research. So to say that, you know, in this case, when we talk about the things that communist parties have done, revolutions have done throughout the years, we commonly hear things like, you know, Fidel and Che were dictators, or Mao was a dictator, or Stalin and Lenin were dictators, without really understanding at all the theories, relationships, and organizations that they were trying to develop and build with. You have democratic centralist organizations that put certain people in positions with more responsibility and therein more, quote, power within the party only because at that point they have proven themselves useful in this way, successful, and trustworthy. You know, someone like Stalin, a lot of folks don't know, time and time again, you know, tried to leave his position, especially throughout some of the more difficult periods of, uh, you know, Russian Revolution and uh, Soviet power. And, you know, I bring all of this up to say, I really do think it's damaging the way in which we view this history. I wrote a little bit about it. I might type it up and put it in a blog post so you can be on the lookout for that if you'd like. But, you know, really my main thesis is this, like like the true Marxist I am, you know, you can't disconnect things and reality from its interrelations and interconnectedness. Um, Understanding that history happened the way it did because of existing conditions and circumstances, which then, you know, groups and interests acted upon in order to create new situations and circumstances which ultimately are complex, contradictory, and uh, difficult to understand from an outsider's perspective. So, you know, I don't really come at anyone's neck oftentimes for 
looking at history in this way. You, normally what I'll do, because I mean, even I sometimes get caught up in the romanticization of uh, history. And, um, you know, I have to call myself into question, you know, what are the, uh, the forces at play here? What are the contradictions? Who are the players at hand? What are their interests? You know what I'm saying? Um, what conditions do they exist in? What relationships do they have with other, uh, you know, people uh, and organizations and such? And I try to do the same for others, you know, when I talk with my coworkers about things. Um, I try to point out, like, for example, when we talk about China right now, I try to point out the fact that, like, President Xi, you know, if we think that, if we can agree that folks like Biden, like the President of the United States, is not the only person running the show, then we, how do we also forget that and think that then President Xi is, like, wholeheartedly in charge and, like, a dictator and completely... doing everything by his own will and bias and and decision making in the same way that you hear people saying the same shit about Mao and and others but yeah so I've kind of been hitting on that point enough that's kind of how he finishes up the book he he begins talking about Deng Xiaoping begins talking about the development in the 80s of the uh, you know what some might call the capitalist rotors what some might call uh, you know I actually don't know what Deng Xiaoping referred to it as, referred to his uh, industrialization and um, trade and everything as. But, you know, I don't really know where I stand on that. I got a lot to learn. I got some Maoist tendencies in me. We've discussed that before. I also have some uh, more, a little bit more experienced uh, knowledge now that I've been trying to put a lot of these ideas into, into action. And I'm recognizing that things are a little bit more complicated than some books will have you know. So because of that, you know, uh, I put aside purist ideology for uh, a lot of reasons. But I do not ignore ideology and do not ignore principle. And I understand that in this way, when we make mistakes, we have to critique our mistakes. We have to learn. We have to grow. And we have to, you know, revisit and reanalyze the way in which that we're taking certain approaches. But we also have to realize that we're up against the wall. We're up against the wall. We're actively under fire. We're being, you know, invaded. We're being uh, misinformed. We're being infiltrated. We're being uh, divided and separated and meant to fight one another. And among all of that, we have to find a way to move forward, to take on our common enemy and to eliminate the ruling class. There are certain contradictions that exist between people groups. There are certain contradictions that exist between certain genders and, uh, you know, sexes. There are certain contradictions that exist between those who live within the imperial core and those who live within the global south. And there are certain contradictions that exist among all of the people within those countries who we might consider working and exploited people. There is no way in which we are going to be able to build a perfect struggle with perfect solutions that is able to resolve everyone's issues perfectly. However, we also cannot, in that same sense, ignore or put aside any form of oppression and suffering. 
to the best of our ability, we need to attack on every front. The ways in which the masses of people across the world are actively being repressed and beaten down on a day-to-day basis. But the only way that we can really do that is together. The only way that we can really successfully achieve that is together. So if we're not able to successfully come together and find ways to struggle for one another, for one another's ability to struggle, for one another's you know, self-determination, sovereignty, and ability to fight for socialism. If we are not struggling in this way, and if we are not you know, also studying history and using history to uh, the most revolutionary and realistic, truthful sense then we are going to watch as these contradictions go nowhere. We are going to watch as these contradictions, in fact, intensify. Because ultimately, these contradictions are fundamental to the capitalist and imperialist system. It is what allows the capitalist and the imperialist to scoop up the mess however they want for the benefit of them and their buddies and continue being in charge with the most wealth and the most power that has ever existed in the fewest amount of hands ever in human history. So because of that, one thing that I also didn't really like about this book is the fact that it really does focus a lot on the infighting between party members. Now, clarification. Inner party struggle, 100% necessary. Ideological struggle, 100% necessary. However, what I think books like this do, whether intentionally or not, is they almost make the Communist Party's cartoonish and make caricatures out of the revolutionaries who are fighting for a new world, fighting to develop a struggle that is going to liberate and free people who have been enslaved through many different forms and many different struggles for generations who are ultimately trying to find the best solution according to their own you know, individual or collective ideals and ultimately makes this just a drama club. It's not a drama club. Like, people are killed because of this. Because you have to understand, you're actively at war. You're declaring, I want to see the end to the ruling class system. I, you know, you're declaring all kinds of threats against the existing status quo and state. And so ultimately, you have to understand that historically, this is something that has been used, you know, these relationships, this infighting, this division, to be able to sow infiltration and lead towards the death of many, 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 many people in just about every single country that has had any kind of struggle that have not really needed to die. But for the very safety, the very fact that you are actively under, you know, attack, you might be killed if you don't kill someone else. It's a pretty terrifying moment. The person who wrote uh, 10 Days That Shook the World, John Reed, In his documentary, and I believe also in the book, but it's been a bit since I read it, 
Uh, he talks about the... Yes, he yes, because his papers were confusing because they uh, didn't look like any of the other papers, but he was an American journalist that was going around during the Russian Revolution and, you know, trying to cover what was going on. And he was, uh, you know, out and about with some folks, and they got stopped by Red Army members. They were asked to show all their papers. You know, they showed him... Uh, you know, his internationalist papers from the Communist Party USA. And, uh, you know, they basically were like, these are falsified papers, and they were going to kill him. Because in that moment, they were looking for each and every infiltrator, each and every spy that they could, because they knew that if just one of them got in, the whole revolution, the whole Red Army could be under a type of attack that they are not capable of, you know, necessarily succeeding in. So because of that, you got to be just about as cautious as possible. So I don't really like that this book, you know, so hyper focuses on the different uh, trends and different theories of certain Communist Party members, uh, rather than talking about the incredible achievements of the Communists during this time, the way that they were able to connect with the people, the way that even while under constant fire, they were able to keep the morale of the cadre and of the soldiers, as well as continue, you know, refurbishing the the communist uh, party and, and the, the Red Army because, you know, their philosophy, their propaganda, as well as their actions were leading to things that the people wanted. So they kept joining. So to say that then, you know, certain decisions, certain things happening were because of this or that individual, again, super, uh, you know, I find illogical in the sense that it's not correct historically, entirely, or truthfully. But I also think that, like, this continues to almost make a caricature out of revolution, Instead of focusing on the reality at hand, the way in which they organized, how they solved their problems, how they found out the information they did, built the, uh, you know, uh, information networks that they did, how they connected with the masses. Why? Why? Because he wants to just write a book and put it out. So I wanted to talk about this real quick before I go, because I really only got about five or six more minutes, but... You know, I do the podcast and I I write the blog and I read a lot of books and I think that it's useful to the sense that like when I get more organized and I get involved in the opportunities that I have, uh, I'm going to be that much better and that much more of a revolutionary rather than just a a rank and file member uh, that, you know, ultimately are very important. We need rank and file folks who maybe do not have the time to dedicate to reading and to political education like others, but we need the political education and the ideology so as to ultimately succeed in achieving the goals and the objectives that we believe will resolve the contradictions that exist and eliminate the forms of exploitation and oppression that continue to destroy the masses of people across the world. So in, in, you know, wrapping up with all that, you know, and saying I do the show because I think that it's important to get these ideas out of there. And I'm sure that that's the reason why he wrote the book was because he felt that it was important to get this information out there. But I think people ultimately let slip their character and their class nature in the way in which that they talk about these things. It's clear that, you know, Salisbury here 
Um, maybe wasn't the most revolutionary, the most radical uh, individual that has ever lived. He's a historian, you know? And uh, so because of that, he writes in a certain fashion and format. I think the book was useful for historical purposes. But ultimately, I would say that for those of us who, you know, either create content or get a lot of our information from content creation, I'd like to really put it to us, you know, right now to remember, we need a revolution, you know? I'm a communist. I believe that we need revolution. I believe that revolution is the only thing that is going to resolve the issues that are facing the people today. And so in that way, I believe that content creation and content creation alone will not make a revolution. And I believe that feeding ourselves information so as to have this trivial knowledge without actively applying it and organizing with it, again, will not lead to revolution. So I'd like to put it to us once again as I continue to in a lot of my episodes to get organized, you know, Um, join a revolutionary party. Whatever that means to you, find a party that meets the ideals and the objectives that you think we need to achieve and then puts their words into action and be a part of that and learn from it. Because ultimately, the only way that we're going to know whose ideas are right, what solutions work and which don't, what history is truthful and what isn't, is by doing it ourselves, by learning it ourselves, by being a part of it ourselves. And you know what? What's more enticing and exciting and inspiring than building a new world together? Now, it's going to be hard, and there is no idealism in my mind. I know that ultimately, this is a struggle that will go on far longer than my heart will beat. I know that this is a struggle that will continue far longer than I will have eyes to see and feet to walk on this earth. But at the end of the day, I believe that we exist today and must play our role as individuals who have agency, individuals who have ideology, and individuals who have a revolutionary goal and a revolution to make. It's not impossible. It's not impossible by a long shot. Honestly, I don't want to say simple, but it is a lot more simple then we make it out to be. Take these ideas, put them into practice, organize, find ways to get involved. All of that, right? Together. All of us doing it together. And something will come of it. Quantity to quality. You can't do it all by yourself. You might not even be able to do much by yourself. But if you're not all by yourself... You might be able to be a part of something much bigger than yourself. And that's what we want. Because what we want, what I advocate for, is the end to oppression everywhere. The end to a system based on the exploitation of the many by the few. An end to the capitalist and imperialist system. An end to the fascistic dictatorial nature of the U.S. Empire and other imperialist nations and an end to a ruling class structure and a ruling class that is incapable, unwilling, and 
incredibly intent on the suffering and the struggling of the people and in that unwilling incapable to resolve that suffering because that suffering is the basis the foundation by which the ruling class is in power let us not forget slavery the enslavement of human beings and their labor force was the foundation by which capitalism was built on and the foundation by which the U.S. empire, the European empires, and the nations all across the world based on white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, and imperialism are all based on. Thank you for listening, folks. If you would like, check out the book. I got it at my local library, which means there's probably a PDF online. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know what you think about guests that I should have on. And let me know what is going on with you. Uh, Reach out. Hit me up. Tell me I fucking, uh, you know, blew it. My takes are stupid and I should go fuck myself. Tell me I'm a dumb, stupid communist. Tell me whatever the fuck you want. But uh, reach out. Let me know what you think. We'll talk soon, folks. Stay safe. Stay revolutionary. Peace.